most frustrating thing about producing myself is when I can't get the things that I want to hear in my head out sounding the exact exactly the way that I hear them in my head. And maybe everything in my head sounds just like a little bit more reverby than normal. I think that's a given. Uh, Probably but, just from listening to so much music. Because yeah. ever since I like started, you know, listening to you talk about music and the way that things get made and stuff like that, all I I can't not hear reverb and things now. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's just like I'll hear I'll hear a song with reverb. And then I'll try and describe a song to somebody else. And in trying to reconstruct the memory of me listening to the song, it probably has twice the amount of reverb on it than than usual. Maybe that's just mm-hmm. a, I mean, it's just a facet of memory that is just kind of like uh, there's some sort of like reverber. There's some sort of like shell shock or reverberations happening. That's uh, that is in the that is the brain trying to reconstruct. <laughs> Mm-hmm. the sonic memory of of a record um but yeah it's always like i'll always have these ideas and they'll be like they'll, they'll sound so good in my head and then i'll put them down on on a an, in a in a garage band or a logic and i'll sit there and i'll go it's so much drier than i than i thought it was going to be and in some cases mm-hmm. that works other cases kind of just like well that's a, that's unfortunate <laughs> Is it easier now? Like, do you know sort of your voice better after this process? Much better. Um, I would argue that uh, I really didn't know anything at all about my voice going into the process of of recording these things. And just now I have such a a good skill of recording and, and, and compositing vocal takes together um that it's sort of become an indispensable tool of mine when I'm collaborating with other people mm-hmm. um because I remember once I was watching a brass track stream and Ivan was coming up with a beat and I came up with a melody idea and I sent it over to him after the stream ended and he was like do that do just record that and so I recorded that and I did it in the span of like 15 to 20 minutes of just track laying down those vocals, uh, coming up with different melodic ideas to counter it, and then comping and editing those vocals together. I've become such, I've become far more intimately uh, comfortable with working with my voice and uh, working with my voice as a tool more than. Uh, I think most singers, I, I would like to think, because you you hear the stigma of all the time, or not the stigma, but you hear the stereotype all the time, singers hating the sound of their own voice and not being and not wanting to listen to it. And mm-hmm. I think I think that's just because that's that's a sort of a given thing for everybody because we're hearing our voices with the the actual vibrations of our body as we talk. Like if yeah. you if you really pay attention, when you talk, your lungs and your chest and your your throat and your nose and the mask of your face and maybe a little bit on the sides of your head are all vibrating. 
So they're all generating different, they're generating sonic frequencies that nobody else can perceive but you. And when you say you know how to use your voice as a tool more, what do you, especially when you say uh, more so than the singers, what do you mean when you say that? It's like what of, is using your voice as a tool mean? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's the, I think it's the experience that I had in acapella of just understanding how to arrange music how to arrange mm. a vo- how to arrange a vocal in a way that is pleasing and, and good and good sounding um but then it's also just the repetition of that which led me eventually to being able to know how to produce my own vocals and you'll you'll hear like some of the greatest uh singers of all time knowing how to do those that exact thing like i feel like uh it's an underrated skill but i imagine that uh your Mariah Carey's, your Ariana Grande's, and your Beyonce's all know how to comp their own vocals because they're so intimately aware of what their instrument can do um, mm-hmm. that they know instantly when they when they do a take, they're like, "No, got to go again, got to do it again," because that is not what I that's not what I heard in my head. Um, and so I think I am starting to shape the tool of my voice to get on that same level of artistry. Um, I don't think I'm at like Mariah Carey levels of I'm good at this yet, but she has like 20 to 30 experience, years of experience on me. <laughs> I remember when we were talking about can't see past 30 mm-hmm. and you were talking about how you write hooks and like you write them as if people are going to be singing them back at you. Right, right. I have a question in regards to production, not only on your, mostly on your voice, but also just on track. Sure. Um, is that how you sing? I because something that I notice mm-hmm. is with is and I, I think I saw a YouTube video about it about um, the difference between how a, a voice is going to sound on the record, especially nowadays, where mm-hmm. like every record that you hear is built from all of the best takes all of the best like yeah uh, uh individual parts of different takes yeah that build the original song right and how that differs from the actual capability of the human body on like a sort of nightly tour or something like that yeah you, did totally. when you were singing were you thinking about what it would be like to perform no <laughs> <laughs> uh i imagine i would perform can't see past 30 a little little like a half a step down maybe mm-hmm. just because uh there are things that i know that i can do in the studio and that i have done in the studio um yeah. that are far more acrobatic and musically interesting for a record than they are for a live performance um mm-hmm. i did write that song with the intention in mind of like this is the, this chorus is going to be something that some that's that people are going to shout. So when I'm yeah. singing, it sounds a little bit kind of like shouting, but it's not it's not shouting. It's controlled. It's almost like controlled mm-hmm. shouting to an extent. Um, but I, that was my the imp the impetus of being like I want people to I don't I don't care who is singing it. I want people to sing it. It was the was the goal of of that record in particular. What did this project overall t- 
teach you about collaboration, teach you about collaboration that you didn't already know, because you come from right. a, a musical background that is sort of inherently collaborative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. But what did this project teach you about collaboration that that experience didn't? Right. Um, That's a good question. I know it is. That's why I asked. <laughs> um, I think I was surprised about how effectively uh, the process was in in communicating virtually with people. And granted, mm -hmm. I know a lot of the engineers are kind of like, a lot of the engineers got what I was trying to do in the sense that I was a good communicator in terms of what the goal was for each of the individual songs I was working with on all, on the production side. Um, but still, I'm always in awe that producers can not only nail the things that I want to hear, but also pull things out from what I'm saying um, that is like, oh, I didn't think of that, but that actually works so much better than I thought it was going to. Um, only just by texting somebody or writing a writing like a, a a feedback thing to somebody. Um, I'm always I'm always in awe of that. Um, I think. I learned a lot about the writing process a lot more um, than I did before. Um, just because I feel like with acapella, it's a covers-based world. So you're, you're kind of on the same page when you're communicating an arrangement idea because people have heard the song that you've made before. This is kind of you're just pulling stuff out of your brain and saying, hey, this is something. And everybody else in the room or <laughs> who you're talking to on the computer has to be like, yeah, okay, of course. <laughs> and that is a really challenging thing if you don't know what you're doing. And I think actually, in terms of my ability as a writer, I think I, if compared to when I finished the production of this EP to now, that skill of being able to communicate and pull things out from my brain based on people people coming up with ideas or giving me ideas to work with has become such a more refined tool. Um, mm -hmm. Like I had a session, I had a session a couple weeks ago with another artist and he came to me with an idea, uh, like a, a premise for a song. I came up with a rough beat idea prior to our meeting but in that meeting, in the in in about an hour and a half, we wrote the whole song. Verse, we just barreled through it. We already had the chorus, so all we did was verse one, verse two, bridge, and then we had the whole song finished. And that was a testament nice. to of like he had a really solid idea, which was great. But I, but the solidness of the idea allowed me to say, okay, how about if we frame it like this, and then this, and then this. And then sort of, I would just pull these ideas out from words he was saying, things he was thinking about, things that he had written down that he had shared with me. And I would just sort of take this uh, this sort of nebulous concepts that he's sort of spitballing into the air, pulling down the things that matter the most and sort of fitting them together into this like new little puzzle that I, that I 
we just created out of just those those nebulous ideas. And thematically, who were you at the beginning of writing this process? Mm-hmm. Uh, writing all these songs and, and putting together this project. Right. And do you think you're the same person now? Do you think that you are writing from the same place or working from the same ideas? Yeah, I think I am. In terms of in terms of me being the same person, totally not. I'm not the same person. Uh and I think that only just comes from me to being introspective about the material and understanding what the storyline event eventually ended up being and that allowed me to be a little bit more conscious of how I wrote music in the future and helped mm-hmm. me dictate the ideas that I'm working on now and the ideas that I want to work on with other people. Um, at the beginning of this process, I was kind of just ideating to make the music that I wanted to make and just have it exist, which I think is something that I said at the very beginning of talking about this. Is just I made this music just to have exist in the world and it didn't really matter to me about who found it um just as long as if they found it that they resonated with it um but i definitely changed as a writer but i don't think my methods changed much i just became more aware of them yeah and are you writing about the same things are you in a thematically similar place i think you were kind of sort of i don't know this next project is i mean Originally, when I set out to do this next project, I was like, let's do it kind of like serendipity and have it be love letters to relationships in my life that either don't exist or exist. Um, I don't necessarily know if that's going to be the same, if that project is going to have the same shape by the time that it's done, but I'm taking my time with it. But I do find that uh, a lot of a lot of the things I'm working on have a lot of thematic similarities. Um in terms of the self-awareness and the curiosity that I kind of carried from this primary project, um, I really think on a fundamental level, we're only given seven to 10 solid stories that we're capable of telling as who we are. Like we have a good seven to 10 within us and the rest of our lives are kind of devoted to shaping and honing the stories to be the best they possibly can be. And that comes from just iterating over and over and over again until you find that level of balance. And you can say, all right, I think I'm where I'm at. Where I'm at is good. So I think eventually I'm going to run out of material to work on, but that's for, it's fortunate fortunate for me that I'm working with other people and their stories as well and maybe I can help them with that and help and help sort of assemble those things together. But I genuinely think I mean maybe I haven't discovered all of them yet, but I think I have a solid 7 to 10 stories uh in me that I'm probably going to spend the rest of my life developing. And a lot of, I mean, I noticed a through line not only in this past EP, but my work as a filmmaker in college, in my work as this, the material that I would gravitate towards in, as a singer, uh, interpreting solos for dif- different things um, in college. And a lot of it had to do with change and grief 
and handling mm-hmm. those things and moving on from those things or being not necessarily moving on from those things, but being able to carry those things with a little bit more grace and, 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 uh, levity. No, not levity. Uh, a little bit more grace and groundedness than, than, uh, than you would when you're feeling those feelings. Um, and, that those same those same thoughts those same ideas of just being of 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 fearing change of then accepting change of accepting accepting the emotions that come with grief and and it's many different variety of emotions um all that's present in the ep The full day-by-day EP is available on all streaming platforms. Tape by Tape is a production of Iris Out Media and edited by me, CJ. You can find me at CJ period, that's C-E-E-J-A-Y and the word period, I'm assuming you know how to spell it, on any social media platform. And you can find Dan Purcell at the Dan Purcell on all those same social media platforms. <laughs>